Good evening, my name is Neil O'Toole and I'd like to welcome you to this latest podcast by the Younger Parkinson's Alliance. Our vision is to create a world where the aspirations and challenges facing younger people with Parkinson's and their families are understood and supported, enabling them to lead active and fulfilling lives. This podcast is about the subject of finances and their impact on people with Parkinson's. And I'm joined on the panel this evening by Mary Whelan from the charity Parkinson's UK, Bruce Hodgson from Lloyds Banking Group, and my fellow colleagues with Parkinson's, Sarah Nicole and Simon Bedbro. Welcome everyone. I should say at this stage that given that this subject of this podcast is finances, clearly nothing on this podcast should be construed as advice for anybody all circumstances are different and everybody should seek personal advice for their own circumstances. Okay, well I'd first like to welcome the panel. Could I ask everybody to introduce themselves, starting with you Nick. Evening, my name is Nick. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's six years ago. Uh, I'm 48 years old now. Um, I still work full-time. I'm a registered nurse by background, but I work as a quality manager for a local clinical commissioning group, and I live um, just north of Portsmouth in the uh, sunny Hampshire coast. Thank you, Nick. You're very welcome. Simon. Good evening, everybody. My name's Simon. I live in a little village in Hertfordshire called Redbourne, which is near St Albans. I was diagnosed in 2013, and right up until the time I was diagnosed, I worked in uh, for O2, the mobile network, in a management role. Um, that's it. Thank you, Simon. Again, you're very welcome. And Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah Webb. I live in London. I was diagnosed 10 years ago. I had DBS three years ago. And at the time of my diagnosis, I was working as a PR consultant. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome. And we're joined tonight by Mary and Bruce, who don't have Parkinson's, but have a perspective on finance Uh, Could I come to you first, Mary, to introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Mary. I'm a benefits and employment advisor at Parkinson's UK. I've been in the job two years. Prior to that, I was an advice worker, mostly at the Citizens Advice, but also housing associations and welfare rights units. I'm based in Chester. Thank you. Thanks for sparing us the time this evening. And Bruce, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Good evening, everybody. My name's Bruce. Um, I work for the Lloyds Banking Group um, and I work in a team that supports um, customers who are having financial difficulties and try and um, help them help them through those difficulties back to financial well-being. Great. And thank you, Bruce, for joining us this evening. OK, we're going to we're going to start at um, pre-diagnosis stage, uh, just understand a little bit about uh, the individuals on the panel with Parkinson's, what their situation was at that stage and any advice they may have for people in that situation. Um, can I come to you first, Nick, and tell us a little bit about you know where you were pre-Parkinson's? Of course. So, uh, as mentioned, I was working in, in the NHS. Um, I suppose I was doing fairly well in that position. Um, guess had probably in the region of 25 years of working life ahead of me uh, had a relatively big mortgage um, I think my eldest child was we've got I've got three children my eldest child was kind of just coming up to that A-level university stage so potentially having three children going off to university in the not too distant future um, 
and things were going okay really so I suppose yeah Parkinson's was a bit of a, a wake-up call and uh, a bit of a challenge. Thank you Nick. Uh, Simon same question to you. Yes thanks Nick, Neil. Um, so uh, like I said earlier I worked for O2 the mobile network for many many years I was there for about 10 or 12 years or so uh, right up until inter inter interestingly when uh, my diagnosis was actually made so Round about then, I decided to um, leave O2 under a redundancy scheme and uh, set up on my own as a writer. Uh, we'll, I'm sure you come to my lack of success later. Um, but uh, that was what I was doing then, and, um, and I've been a writer, self-employed ever since. And the same question to you, Sarah. You mentioned previously in your introduction you were a PR consultant. Can you tell us a little bit about where you were pre-Parkinson's? I had been working um, for the Lawn Tennis Association and um, as a sports and PR manager for the Wimbledon Championships, decided to go freelance and um, met my husband and was just about to start having children when I was just diagnosed. Thank you very much. Um, Bruce, could I just bring you in there? Um, for your introduction, you're clearly, um, hopefully, not everybody's in financial difficulty, but certainly um, may have some financial concerns and Parkinson's diagnosed. Is that a sort of typical story of people um, going along happily in their sort of lives pre an unexpected event? Yeah, very much so. It tends to be um, some sort of um, usually fairly significant financial shock. So it could be, um, you know, uh, health, health related so for example you know the, the the people we're talking to today um it could be a sort of major life event in terms of loss of job um bereavement um you know those the, those sorts of sort of key key things that tends to be the trigger for people to um you know sort of have usually a major sort of income shock and and reduced income that um that, that tends to be fairly challenging so the, those are those are a lot of the situations that we uh, that we try and help customers with Thank you, Bruce. And um, Mary, can I bring you in there with all your experience in housing associations, citizen advice, and now with Parkinson's UK? Um, fairly typical people going along happy with their lives pre Parkinson's. Yes, most people going along happily, and then um, it's a big adjustment and has to be looked at from all angles, really. Okay, so we're all going along with our lives. Um, fairly happily and suddenly we're diagnosed with a disease such as Parkinson's, um, all sorts of implications, all sorts of thoughts through people's minds, including financial. Um, could I come to you first, Simon, and tell us if you would a little bit about what you were thinking at that stage, what you did and um, any advice you sought? Yes, that's a really interesting question, actually, because um, I was already in the process of taking redundancy from O2, as I said earlier, our after I'd been there for, for, for a long, long time. When I was diagnosed right in the middle of that process, so the decision had been made, I was going to leave O2. Looking back, I do sometimes wonder whether subconsciously the things were related, but I don't know whether they were or not. But the fact is I took the decision to stop having a full-time role and employment, not, by the way, because I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, because it's something I wanted to do anyway, and just set myself up with a, sort of this dream role of being a, a writer which uh, although the roles uh, happened, I haven't uh, had much success, but, uh, but I'm enjoying doing it. Um, it's, and like I said, it's interesting looking about whether the two things were related. Um, any, 
any thoughts, any regrets, I guess, you know, that you left a big company, presumably a decent salary pension? And Yeah, actually, no regrets. No, actually, no. I, th- I suppose the big regret which we may come to is what I did with the redundancy money, because I felt I was uh, I was sort of in, you know, protected, if you like, from the world. I had quite a large chunk of money because I've been there for a long, long time in, in, in quite a senior role, so quite a big pension. And I thought, um, nothing will change, and I'll be a successful writer, and off we go. And um, what's happened since has been a, quite a sobering experience. So from what you're describing, um, without putting the words in your mouth, at, at the stage of diagnosis, financial considerations weren't really top of the agenda. Yes, and I think that's only because, though, of this redundancy scheme. I think if, if that hadn't been the case, they would have been. So in a way, I was quite fortunate, because like I said, the process was already underway, and I'd already had a... Are we done to see package agreed? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Look forward to hearing more from you. Um, Nick, could I come to you in terms of what your thoughts were financially, the point of diagnosis? Yeah, so thanks, Neil. I think when I was diagnosed, I think there were so many questions of uncertainty. Uh, you know, obviously the obvious one is about uncertainty about your health and how, how is that going to progress? But obviously tied in with that is thinking is thinking about the financial situation and how you know having three children that were probably not far away from going to university and thinking of wanting to support them and obviously as they as they grow up thinking uh, you know am I going to be able to do that how how long am I going to have to be able to work and how long am I going to, am I going to be able to have to work full time am I going to have to drop my hours so there's just so many questions. When you're first diagnosed, there's so many things you don't know. You know, finance is obviously one aspect of it, but obviously that, you know, can weigh heavily on your mind. And I think it probably did do with me for a while, I think. Did you do anything at that stage of interest? You mentioned earlier on your intro you had got a large mortgage. Did you contact the mortgage company or? Yeah, I guess the one thing I started looking into in much more detail, I guess, was pension. Uh, and I, you know, working for the NHS, uh, I'm aware that the, the NHS has a, a fairly reasonable pension scheme, and there's potentially um, uh, ability to retire on a medical uh, pension. So I knew I knew that was available to me. So I've kind of I kind of started looking into that and what what that would mean financially for me at some point in the future. Great. Well, we'll come later to what happened uh, as with Simon. Sarah, how about yourself? Um, diagnosed at quite a young age, a couple of young children. Apart from all the, you know, the considerations, can you tell us a little bit about your financial sort of thoughts at that moment? Well, I think for me, the initial um, diagnosis was such a shock that it took me um, a long time to realise that my life was going to change so much. Um, I was working, but I was also getting very tired. I was looking after two children. And for me, it just actually changed into I've become a mum for a while. And that just that progression just happened, really. Um, but it's also because I was trying to keep my like my clients um, happy and trying to do my work. But I just couldn't do it 100 percent. And I realised I needed to just um, give it up for a bit and see if I could come back to it one day. Mm. Um, and concentrate on the children, really, and concentrate on the family unit for a while. Because I knew, if anything, I need to be a mum for a while um so that changed my life a lot because I'd always been working before that for a long you know for 20 years or so so it, it was a big big change for me yeah and obviously we don't know your financial circumstances at that time but given that that's the subject of this podcast could I ask you know were there any financial considerations in you giving up work like that or were you okay 
We did sell that. We, we decided to sell the house and move um, right. to go close to the boys' school, and that's a big decision for us um, because the drive was quite far, and it's getting too much for me trying to drive there and back every day, and then it, again in the afternoon. Um, so it's taking me about an hour every day. Um, one one trip was, and I decided that we needed to change. So we tried to downsize actually, yeah. as a family, and that became really hard because. The boys out in the garden trying to play football, but realised the football kept going into the neighbour's garden because the garden was so small. And we kind of realised that it wasn't going to work for us, that we need to actually think about this and think how we're going to, what house could we move into? Because we tried to rent for a bit just to see if that would work for us. And it didn't. So we actually had to get another mortgage. So there's a lot going on. and it, But, you know, you just have to accept the changes and just... And it, t- it takes a while to get used to it, but you just have to be strong. And we've, you know, we've all got our own stories, and we do get through it somehow. Yeah, it's a good reminder that, uh, and they're all very conscious of this. I mean, I've Parkinson's myself. That there's an awful lot going on at that moment, and it's slightly false trying to kind of segregate out the financial side. But we're trying to do that tonight, just to give people a, a sort of vision of what's happening and what might happen on their financial situation and what they can do about it. And speaking of what they can do about it, maybe I can come to you, Bruce. Um, clearly, your organisation provides mortgages, loans, credit cards, etc. People's circumstances change, they're diagnosed with Parkinson's, other things happen in their lives, as you've touched on. Um, I can only imagine some people probably come to you maybe too early, some people come to you too late and end up in your financial difficulties. Um, Category. Yeah. Just a little bit of people who have been listening to this podcast, what advice would you give someone diagnosed with a condition who's sitting on a you know big mortgage with large banking? What should they do? Yeah, I think I think the key thing, and you know, sort of Sarah and others have uh, have touched on it. I appreciate it's a you know it's a really emotional, um, difficult time with a diagnosis, but I think just trying to get your financial or your your finances clear in your own mind, and um, you know sort of get get down on paper really what you know what your current income is what your assets are what your outgoings are and what your you know what your borrowing is so you can get a clear picture i suppose on both sides of the both sides of the equation you know what 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 flexibility have you got with with the with the income assets that you do have and then obviously what commitments that you that, that you have so sort of get all of that clear and then make sure that you understand what your you know what your what what your budget is, and you know most banks and um, uh, and so on have got um, you know apps that you can that will help you with uh, help you with budgeting, or alternatively you can go to the you know money advice service or somewhere like that that will that will really help. So I think just really getting organised, getting a clear sense of all of your ingoing, all of your incomings, all of your outgoings, I think will give you a really good platform then to be proactive about understanding what your options are because um as you say neil sort of a lot of people um you, you, I, I suppose sort of come to us sometimes too late when they you know they they missed a number of payments on on something and really you've got much you, you've got more options if you can go to your your, your bank or your or your lender early sort of before you really start falling behind on things you've got um you've got more flexibility in terms of you know potential product transfers or you know potentially you know as as sarah talked about sort of downsizing um before you know sort of before you start 
potentially getting behind on things. So that would be that would be my my, my key advice. Yeah, thank you for that, Bruce. Um, I think it's worth keeping in mind as well that when you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, particularly if you're of working age, your symptoms are probably quite mild. And at that stage, financial considerations may not be top of the agenda. Um, it's something you'll probably be seeing as you know some years down the line. Yeah, so I think um, making sure that you understand as early as you can, you know what your what your what your income is and what your expenses are, probably most importantly. So coming to you, Mary, uh, you're obviously giving advice to people uh, in your day to day job. Uh, do people generally come to you when they're diagnosed or when the situation has got a lot worse? Or tell us a little bit about that. We, we do get quite a lot of inquiries from people who've been recently diagnosed. Yes, we do. Um, but I have found that a lot of people I speak to have had symptoms a long time before they get the diagnosis. Yeah. So they might already be struggling at work and they've just been soldiering on, um, you know, and quite often it can be quite a physically demanding job. So they want to know what their options are. So we advise them that having Parkinson's means they're likely to meet the statutory legal definition of being disabled under the Equality Act, which means the employer is not, they can't discriminate against them. So they can ask for things like reasonable adjustments to try and improve the circumstances at work. But each case is unique. Yeah. Um, so there's no sort of one size fits all advice. We have to look at it specifically. Um, some people might want to try and reduce their hours or reduce targets, or they might look for an alternative job in the same business, um, or they might have to go off sick, and then we can talk about sickness benefits. They might have to go into statutory sick pay, and then they'll want to know what happens after that. Uh, so if they've been working a long time, they should be entitled to employment and support allowance because they've paid all their contributions. And that's regardless of what uh, that, you know their circumstances are at home. So if they've got a partner who's working full time, they can still claim the employment and support allowance as it's based on their national insurance contributions. And it's just if they're not fit for work. So that it's a really useful benefit. I have found a lot of people who have finished work and didn't know about employment and support allowance. And that's, you know, quite frustrating because it's time limited. You have to claim it within two or three years of finishing work. So some people might have been made redundant and they've gone along living off that and that's reduced. And then they make inquiries and it's three or four years down the line and, and they haven't worked for that time so they can't claim employment and support allowance um, so it's really important to get timely advice Excellent, some real nuggets I, I hadn't heard of before um, In terms of that uh, being classified as disabled is, is there a sort of threshold an individual has to overcome? The legal definition of disability, uh, you have a disability if you've got a physical or mental impairment which has a long-term or unsubstantial adverse effect on your ability to carry out normal day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, right. but Parkinson's generally comes under that definition. Yeah. So it gives that protection from the Equality Act in all circumstances, but the one we are most concerned with usually is 
at work. And I think you mentioned earlier, different employers take a different approach. We hear some lovely mm. things where employers have been very good at putting things in place. And unfortunately, we have heard the opposite as well. Um, and people, especially last year, might have been unfairly selected for redundancy as well when they've been off on furlough. And that's been a, a, a big issue. Yeah, thank you. I know you've spoken to me previously, Nick, about um, your employer, the NHS, and how they've got a very supportive process for people in this sort of situation, I think, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do feel very grateful that I work for uh, an organisation like that. Uh, and even even moving to my a recent job kind of five years ago after I was diagnosed, my current organisation are, are very supportive. They uh, have a policy in place uh, that supports people with long-term conditions and disabilities. Uh, they provide um, opportunity for people to have uh, additional time off uh, if they need to related to that condition. So, I mean, I feel, as I said, I feel very grateful. If, and I think if you're working and if you've got that kind of an, an employer who's that supportive, then you're probably more likely to be able to carry on working for kind of a longer period of time. But obviously then that impacts on your ability to kind of maintain your kind of financial commitments. Mm. Out of interest, did you tell your employer straight away? Or uh, I did. I mean, I was in an interesting situation because I, I worked uh, about six feet away from the neurologist that diagnosed me. And I was oh, right. <laughs> working in the NHS. Uh, um, people tend to obviously get uh, used to kind of discussing kind of difficult diagnoses. Uh, so I, you know, it came natural to me to tell my my current that kind of line manager at that point what had happened. Yeah. Good. Okay, uh, let's move on a little bit. Um, we've talked a little bit about di diagnosis and what people are experiencing there. Um, I haven't put a time limit on this, but let's assume we're a couple of years down the line. could be five, six, seven years down the line, depending on when you were diagnosed. Um, maybe I could just get the three of you to talk a little bit about what is happening now, if you're in that situation, or what has what's happened a couple of years ago. Again, from a financial point of view, but I realise there's lots of other things going on, so if you want to bring those things in, by all means. But um, maybe coming to you first, Sarah, you talked earlier about you'd um, moved house and you'd taken some time out with the children. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened after that? Literally, uh, I'm just plugging along in that situation still. Um, but I was going to, can I ask Mary a question? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Mary, if, if, what would you say to someone who's just been diagnosed? Would you say tell your, tell your employer or not? It would depend on the circumstances. <laughs> My tendency, I wouldn't advise them to tell them or not because you only really have to tell them if it's a health and safety risk. But my way of thinking is if you don't tell them and you're struggling, that they're not going to know why and I but it's up to each individual but we've I've spoken to people who haven't told work and they've started being bullied by colleagues who have no understanding we have a lot of information on our website for employers we have a special video as well which is Parkinson's awareness if people don't understand the condition um, they can do Parkinson's awareness training and that can be for the other employees as well. 
I just think it's a very hard decision to make, isn't it, whether you do yes. pay employee or not. Yeah. And yes. um, I, I, whoever, I, I'm just going to talk generally here. Um, whenever I meet anyone through the network that I run, it's a very big decision for some people. And um, I haven't had to be, I haven't been in that situation because I was a freelancer, so um, I can't really comment on that. But Simon, Simon might be able to say something if you want to say something, Simon. Sarah, I, I just wondered, I mean, like I said earlier, I wasn't in that position because I'd just taken redundancy, but I wondered whether there's also um, a feeling of almost stigma, like um, you know, would people be embarrassed to tell their employer? That, I don't think there's any reason why we should be, but I just wonder whether that would be a disincentive for some people to, 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 um, to, to, to reveal the condition. I just want just wonder whether that's occurred to anybody on this call or whether they had had that experience. I think it would be actually because I think that's a big key as well. I think you're embarrassed. You don't really want to tell people that you can't do your job anymore, do you? But I think also when you are first diagnosed, like Mary said earlier, that your your symptoms won't be that strong. Some people can carry on regardless, can't they, for a couple of years? So, like Neil just said, how do you feel five years after you've been diagnosed? I was getting pretty bad at this stage, um, so that. But that's just me. Other people might be best feeling better and being able to carry on still. But I think because I had young children, I was trying to cope with them every day, and I found that quite hard work. But everyone's different, you know. That's the whole thing about Parkinson's, isn't it? We all have different symptoms. We all feel different on different days, and we can all deal with different things. And so I think that's what you have to remember to to everyone who's listening to this is everyone is individual and there's no right or wrong way of doing something. You have to do how you feel and listen to your body and see what's right for you. Really interesting answer. I mean, for me, what was interesting was, and looking back now, this almost seems laughable, but I was, I think, so, I knew so little about Parkinson's. I was just told, you know, you've got it. Thanks and yeah. the next patient sort of thing. I didn't ever, I didn't ever really realise what was going to happen. It never occurred to me that it would, that I would even, it was even a, a degenerative condition I literally knew nothing about it I thought all that's going to happen is that my hand might shake a bit one day well that's not going to stop anything in life happening so I just sort of as it were gadded out quite cheerfully actually bizarrely and thinking well that's a relief it could have been a lot worse yeah. um and of course whether how what, what kind of influence that had on my later decisions we, we may come to but um it's interesting that like I said I, I just knew so little about it I just didn't have any factoring in about about anything that would happen I think a lot of people feel like that, you know. It's the unknown, isn't it? We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's. Um, I think a lot depends on what role, what job you have at that stage as well. I mean, if you're doing a manual job laying bricks or something, um, you've got a tremor, it could have a, you know, an immediate effect on your career. Whereas if you're at the desk all day, you may be able to continue for a bit longer. I'm making this sort of sweeping statements, but obviously it depends a lot on what you're doing as well as your employer. Mary, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was thinking as well, it, it depends on how much confidence you've got on your employer because we have, I think people might be worried that they might be dismissed if they tell their employer and that has sadly happened and such a backlog for taking cases to get a remedy for that, even though it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good case. Uh, and, and yet other employers have gone to great lengths to provide reasonable adjustments and you can get help from access to work as well for equipment and even access to work and people to help you so I think it just really depends on on what sort of employer you've got yeah and I guess we're looking here 
probably wrongly it almost like it's a static situation. I mean, if you know, if you're diagnosed in your late twenties, some people are, or your thirties, um, you've got a long career path ahead of you, hopefully. Um, career changes, job interviews, um, as well as life changes, finding partners, starting a family, etc. So there's some big things ahead for you. Um, I'll come back to you, Simon, if I may. You you talked earlier a little bit about, um, you sort of hinted at what happened to you in, from a financial point of view. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And um, there I say what you might have done differently if you had your time again? Yes, goodness me. It's, it's, it's horrific to think about it, actually, but I, I made a pretty awful decision. So, uh, like I said, I felt protected uh, because I had this redundancy payment. I didn't think that anything would change with Parkinson's because I thought it was just a very mild condition because, like I said, I knew nothing about it. So what I basically did, and, and, and the other thing was, of course, I thought I'd be a successful writer. I thought it'd be really easy to sell as many books as J.K. Rowling. And, of course, I now, now realise that it isn't quite, um, without any comment about the quality of my books, so what I did was I basically just carried on living the lifestyle effectively I, I had at O2 by just dipping into my redundancy and just carrying on as if really nothing had changed, which is a clearly a, a really foolish decision and listening to people like Bruce and so on about what I should have done. You know, I should have reined it in. I should have thought, okay, things are going to change. Uh, let's, let's be sensible. But I wasn't, I, I was almost the opposite of being sensible. I just basically blew it pretty quickly, um, thinking everything would be okay. And, um, and looking back, that was a really a, a disastrous thing to do. Fortunately, of course, uh, I, I'm lucky because I'm, I'm happily married. My wife has a job, so that that kept kept the household going. Had that not been the case, uh, I think it could have been pretty pretty uh, pretty dismal outlook for me. So, Bruce talked earlier about sort of taking time out to look at your um, your assets, your your outgoings, your your income, etc. Is that something you? advocate people do at that stage? Oh, very much so. I think, uh, and, and actually, uh, I'm sh- I don't know whether Bruce would agree with me, I wouldn't necessarily wait until you've been diagnosed with a with a, with a a sort of a degenerative condition like Parkinson's. It's always good to keep a handle on your income and your outgoings. So absolutely is the right thing to do. You know, I think at all times, it's okay to splash out a little bit and be extravagant sometimes, but let's keep it within within boundaries that we're comfortable with that we can live with. So I wish I'd, uh, I'd uh, um, had, uh, had a spreadsheet with income in this column, outgoings down that column, see what the difference was and, and, and made the necessary adjustments. But I didn't. Bruce, you got any thoughts on that? People coming to you with a condition that's going to deteriorate and is probably inevitably going to impact their income in his capacity. How would the bank handle that? Yeah, I think I think what the what the bank or any any lender would look to do is to try and understand your you know your short and your medium and your long term um, sort of finances and you know they would go through um, as I as I outlined earlier sort of really an income and expenditure to look at what your what your what your income is and how your income might change over time and then basically you know what your what your expenses are sort of starting with you know, your most important expenses around, you know, sort of your, either your mortgage or your rent and your, you know, your sort of key living expenses and then sort of working down through, um, you, you know, the sort of the commitments you might have to service debt and they will, they will look at a, you know, a quite basic, you know, what's your, what's your income, what's your expenditure, how much have you got left to, to, to play with um, and really they'll, they'll sort of look to um, what the options are for you and, and broadly those are, you know, some if if the 
if it's a sort of short-term impact, then, you know, sort of an arrangement to, to, to sort of get you through that. But as you're sort of highlighting there with a, a, a sort of more potentially degenerative condition, which is going to impact your income, you know, sort of just being really realistic about what, what that's going to mean for your uh, for for what you can afford, um, and you know, sort of just getting getting ahead of um, potential options. So, for example, if you if you did, for example, have a um, a, a large mortgage and your income was going to be really um, depleted, then you know, potentially, as, as Sarah outlined earlier, sort of potentially downsizing or changing um, changing um, to to reduce reduce. The level of um, reduce the level of, uh, of sort of debt that you've got and the outgoings that you've got servicing debt. So your lender will really sort of look to go through all of that with you. But I think, as as sort of Simon's outlined, I think if you've got that view of what your income and expenditure is, then that sort of gives you a good sense of okay, well, if my income is this now, and I think I might need to you know reduce the hours, that's going to reduce my income. How can I you know how can I work with how can I work with the expenses I've got to try and minimise those? So, you know, usual thing around, you know, sort of you know, switching energy supply or all of those things that might uh, might help reduce your reduce your outgoings um, a bit would be um, would be useful. But I mean, really, I think lenders generally are trying to find a workable, you know, long term solution um, that's uh, that is sort of understanding your circumstances and what's gonna what's gonna happen to your what's gonna happen to your income and how much you can afford um, going forward. Most, I mean, certainly we do, and I'm sure I'm sure most large financial institutions um, have, you know, have teams that are sort of dedicated to, to to helping customers, and particularly, you know, customers, you know, like like are going to be listening to this um, this podcast really, who have got, you know, sort of are vulnerable because of because of the condition. So you know, they'll tend to, um, you know, hopefully have specialist teams that will um, that will help, um, but really just sort of you know being being upfront about um about what the what the condition is and what it's gonna what it's gonna mean i think just gives you gives you as i touched on earlier i think if you can if you can understand everything ahead of time and go to go to lenders ahead of time then that gives you typically more options so for example you might be able to um change the you know to change the product you're on if it's a mortgage for example to uh to you know to to a to a, a cheaper interest rate or potentially put your mortgage over a longer period which will you know um uh, reduce the reduce the amount that's um that's outgoing and you know in some in some cases not not typically for mortgage but for unsecured lending you know some 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 banks will you know sort of consider consider essentially writing off the writing off the debt um if there's you know if there's not a realistic prospect of it being it, it being repaid so i think there's a you know there's a range of option all i'd encourage people to do is to you know be proactive and talk to their you know talk to their lenders as early as they as they can if there's if there's sort of significant um uh, sort of uh, levels of debt or alternatively people are finding it sort of fairly overwhelming there's a lot of help there there's you know citizens advice national debt line step change these sort of not-for-profit um uh, companies that will really help um and deal with all of your creditors on your behalf all of the people that you that you owe money to on your behalf to and and, and that can that can really help people because a lot of people find it 
um, quite um, potentially stressful to uh, to deal with, with to deal with lots of uh, lots of creditors and potentially creditors that are sort of chasing you. You're going to be getting letters, texts, phone calls, etc. So again, if there's you know if there's if people are finding that a struggle, then those those places are really good sources of help. Uh, that sounds so logical, though, Bruce. And for someone who's just been diagnosed and just been shocked, that diagnosis about having Parkinson's or another, you know, something that's degenerative, that they don't really know what that means to them for the rest of their life. I don't know if I would think about phoning you. Sorry, Bruce, but don't do that personally. <laughs> yeah. But for me, my mind would be thinking about everything else, about um, where's the money going to come from next? Next week, you know, but also the medication can not help us. We can actually, you know, spend too much money. We can buy 10 hundred shoes, which is not right because the medication, or we can start gambling, you know, things like that. And I think for me, I I didn't even think about going to even going to talk to the bank. And I maybe I should have done now, but it's so it seems so logical to do a spreadsheet like some said, do incomings and outgoings. But I, my mind was in such a rush and I didn't know what was going on that it's it just seems so simple now but at the time it's you know it's your mind is just rushing over things that you don't know what's going to happen to you so I don't know I just wish it just was possible to have you by my side at the time Bruce because I think it would have really helped yeah and I I, I appreciate it's um you know, a, a really overwhelming time with lots of, you know, with a with a significant amount of uncertainty, and you know, I don't underestimate the uh, the, the the challenges, you know, the challenges of that. And I think, but but that you know, there, there is a lot of there is a lot of support and and help out there in terms of you know those that that those. Um, charities that I mentioned I think you know are hugely helpful even just going to their websites they've got budgeting tools they've got all sorts of things that will really help and I think again uh, I suppose it's just making sure people have got access to you know to information and just trying to trying to work it through and I think as Mary's highlighted you know I think just trying to maximize your your or understanding the range of options that you've got I think will really you know hopefully um hopefully help um people start to start to um you know sort of take some uh, i suppose take a little bit of control back in terms of you know it's obviously something that's um that's impacted you that's you know sort of a terrible a terrible experience but you know hopefully it's sort of some small steps to um to try and to try and help you feel more in control and, and know what your options are and you know sort of obviously the medical side will as you said sarah will sort of be different for everybody but i think understanding your current situation and then you know sort of what the potential options might be and what, you know, sort of what the medium and long-term um, impact on your income might be, I think will, will, will hopefully help. Try not to sound controversial here, but um, a lot of people believe, well, sorry, let me start that again. A lot of banks don't have a wonderful reputation with people. And I wondered, and, and, and you're, obviously, you're obviously a lovely, reasonable guy, but uh, I, I wonder whether a lot of people might be put off by the fact that, you know, banks are actually there to make a profit. And how yeah. sympathetic really would these teams you talk about really be? Uh, and, and and I wonder whether people might be worried if I if I reveal it, they might come after me for the debt. And I just wonder whether I'm completely off the point there. Or, or no, I, you know, and I think uh, I do, there's there's definitely there's definitely um, you know a component of concern for, for for people. And I think you know I've 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 worked in in the finance industry for you know sort of 20, 26 years now. And I think I think practices and attitudes really 
have you know genuinely significantly changed um and i think i think there's much more of a sense of of wanting to to try and help i think there there were times previously where you know potentially the industry could have i think rightly been accused of just being quite self-interested and just wanting to get its money back um i think with with regulation and with you know sort of how we've how we've evolved you know i would say you know gen genuinely you know the um the 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 consequences for financial um, for financial firms of 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 not treating customers appropriately when they're particularly vulnerable and in financial difficulty is reasonably significant. Uh, you know, it was I think late last year Barclays was fined twenty six million pounds for not treating customers in financial difficulty properly, and you know, we uh, there's numerous banks that have been. So I, I understand the concern, but I think I think genuinely. Um, there is much more of a of a focus to try and help and understand. And as I say, you know, if people are if people are finding it difficult, then you know, step change, citizens' advice, you know, national debt line are there, and they will, you know, they will interact with all of the banks on your behalf, and you know, do an income and expenditure, and essentially, you know, sort of liaise with with the banks if people are finding it stressful, sort of dealing with multiple multiple providers. So I, I think there is there is better attitudes around there and, and certainly there's there's much more help than there has been previously with some of those you know with some of those organizations that I've mentioned. You were telling me offline and this is a reminder that banks are run by you know real people you've had some challenging potential news yourself over the last year or so haven't you with the difficult diagnosis you were managing although there's some good news on that now. Yeah yeah so I was I was diagnosed with with, with cancer bowel cancer um um november november uh 2019 so um um i appreciate um you know parkinson's is a is, is a different disease but I've, I've i've got some i've got some empathy with everybody in terms of getting uh getting some pretty unpleasant news that's going to uh that's going to you know sort of have quite a an impact on your lifestyle but i've been you know hugely fortunate in um getting getting through my through my treatment and um touch wood i've got a in remission now so um you know that's uh that, that, that's really good but i think certainly it's um as uh, as i think sarah and others have touched on it is a it is a those sorts of things are a complete bombshell and i don't as as you said, sort of, it's not uh, you know finances are always the uh, the first thing that's uh, the first thing that comes to mind, but probably in a similar situation to Nick. And you know, I'm very lucky to have a, a really great employer that was very understanding and very supportive of all the way through my uh, all the way through my treatment. So I was quite lucky that sort of um, the finance side wasn't an, uh, an immediate concern for me. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Sarah. I think I'm up. No, of course. Mary, uh, can I come to you? We've, we've not talked a lot about benefits today. You touched on it earlier. Um, could you tell us a little bit, particularly as the condition progresses, the kind of benefits people may be entitled to and how that works? Yes, certainly, because <clears throat> I must say I speak to a lot of people who perhaps have been working since they're 16 and they've never claimed benefits yeah. and they don't know anything about it and um, perhaps they don't want to claim benefits. Sometimes people think there's a stigma to it still. Um, so if the disease progresses and that somebody might find they're no longer able to work, as I mentioned earlier, if they've been paying contributions, they can then claim employment and support allowance. And we would certainly help people navigate that because it's quite a long, drawn-out process. You have to go through these assessments filling these 
big forms. Um, and then there's also personal independence payment. I think most people have probably heard of, and that's uh, if you've got difficulties with daily living or with getting around and they're long-term difficulties, that's a non-means-tested benefit and it's non-contributory. So anybody can claim that. It doesn't matter whether they've paid international insurance and it doesn't matter if they've got money in the bank. It doesn't matter if they've got a partner who's earning. You can just claim it on the basis of a disability. So... You'd claim that if you had difficulties, for example, with washing and dressing, um, communicating, eating and drinking. Those are just a few examples. And moving around or getting out and about. So it's a points-based system and you can get a, a lower rate, which is a standard rate or an enhanced rate. So uh, we help people... Somebody was telling me that Sorry. Parkinson's, somebody was telling me Parkinson's UK got a team of advisors out in the in the in the community who help people fill out these applications. Is that right? We have local advisors. Um, we do support people with the claims. Obviously, at the moment, they're not able to do face-to-face visits, but it's getting easier yeah. to do it. They're, I think there's an online form coming out soon. Otherwise, we've been able to do it by making notes and then posting them out. So, you know, we'll find a way to support people. But not everybody's online either, are they? Uh, so it might have to be done over the telephone. But yes, we do support with that and we support with reconsiderations. My team does appeals if people don't get awarded it because, unfortunately, the assessors, you go for an assessment with that as well. That's done over the phone and the assessors aren't always fully aware of, of the condition, although we're hoping that's going to improve. I think the campaigns team is working on that. Um, so we do help with appeals. The, the, the most successful way of claiming that benefit is if you can send medical evidence with the form or have help filling it in. We've also got a supplementary guide on the website, you know, which details what you get points for. Uh, you can get it if you live alone because you might need help, but you might not be getting it. And you can also score points for the fact that you need aids and equipment to help you. So, for example, if you've got a rail in the shower or you might have a gadget in the kitchen, you can't peel vegetables. So you buy frozen vegetables, all these things. Or you've got a perching stool to sit on while you're cooking. That all scores points. Um so, yes, I would advise if you're approaching that to seek advice, because if you're not used to the benefit system, I have seen people just not really think they have to go into detail on it. And then it's, you know, it's come back to haunt them, really, because they haven't put enough information down. That's very helpful, Mary. Simon, do you claim benefits of interest? Yes, I was just listening to Mary with interest there. A bit like Sarah said earlier, she wishes she had Bruce alongside. Um, I wish I had Mary alongside. Um, as my condition did start to deteriorate, and I'd never claimed benefits before or anything like that, I did apply for the personal independence, uh, whatever it is, the PIP thing, and actually got naught points, which according to many of my friends is, is something quite rare. Most people at least get half a dozen or so, but I actually got naught. Um, now, I guess I was being honest, so obviously I suppose that's a good thing, and as much as it tells the world and, and perhaps tells myself that my condition isn't all that bad. But nonetheless, um, I'm a long, long way from actually getting any benefit. 
Um, but my condition is deteriorating quite quite significantly. So um, I wish I'd had some good advice and um, and, and, and perhaps appealed and so on. So uh, yes, so my advice my advice is clearly listen to people like Mary. Go out there, get some good advice, and um, and do it properly, just like you would with your finances. Would, I have a local. Do you not have a local advisor, Simon? I don't even know whether I do, Sarah. Okay, so that's what I'd suggest you do. Is go and find a local advisor because she. She really helps me, and just like Mary said, I've got she does the PIPs, the disabled badge. You know, she does all that financial side as well, and she she knows what we can like Mary does as well. She knows what we can apply for, what we can't apply for, what we might be able to get points for, and also she she knows the terminology which is right for to fill in these forms. So that's why it's really really key that you get them involved. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. I'll, I'll certainly do that. I guess I've got to wait. Um, I presume I have to wait until I can apply again. Um, so whatever that minimum period of time is, then I'll apply again and see if I can uh, and, and get some benefit at that point. But thank you, Sarah. That's a really good advice. Tell us if you end up higher than Neil Poir. Yeah, yes. Neil Poir. <laughs> uh, how about you, Nick? You come across benefits in your, in your um, sort of lifetime of Parkinson's? Uh, not particularly. It's not something that's crossed my mind particularly at the moment but I mean going back to I think I mentioned earlier was was getting the advice uh which kind of getting some independent advice about the pension really because uh, I think many people will find uh well I certainly do pensions are a bit of a dark art really and they're quite complicated to understand in terms of how they're calculated and how they work so personally for me that was really important to kind of find someone that was a bit of an expert in particularly in the NHS pension scheme which I was obviously I'm part of uh, and get some advice from them really I suppose the other thing I wanted to mention, really, uh, as well as kind of getting advice from a financial person, was uh, obviously it depends if you're in a relationship. But I think it's really important, and personally, I find it really important to have a kind of an open and honest conversation with your with your partner, really, and say actually this is a situation you're in. Um, you know, this is what our life might not be exactly, um, you know, as we planned in terms of retirement and and all those kind of questions, really. And obviously, we don't exactly know you know, what our life's going to be like in 15 years' time. But I guess, you know, with the diagnosis of Parkinson's, we know it's not going to be as easy. Uh, I think that's fairly realistic. So we need to need to be honest about that. And obviously then that has an impact on um, finance in terms of what what our financial, what, what both of our financial expectations are over the coming years, I think. So I think it's really important to have that um, conversation between each other. Yeah. Very good advice. And I think if I come back to something you were telling me offline, I thought was very interesting as well, is um, this challenge of um, maintaining a, a reasonable condition in work and the uh, temptation to sort of over-medicate to stay in that position. Um, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, I think, the ongoing, the ongoing balance is that we can, um, you know, we need to take the medication that we need to, take to kind of get through today really and I think it's going back to what people have said earlier obviously it depends on what exactly kind of type of role you're doing you know if you're doing an office role then you can potentially be a little bit more uh, careful and um, I mean obviously the last year has been a very interesting time for all of us and I, I've been working from home for the last year so that's in many respects that's been really helpful because I can kind of uh, you know, have a little rest if I need to. I'm not kind of whizzing around from uh, all over the place, driving different places. So it's uh, it's really helpful. But um, uh, I th you know, depending on what kind of job you do, um, and I've um, 
in contact and speaking to someone who's a landscape gardener and obviously in terms of how that might affect him and his Parkinson's and how what drugs he might have to take to continue with that level of physical job it will be very different to myself in terms of doing an office job so I think it um, it kind of takes a lot of careful consideration and probably discussion with uh, your neurologist or Parkinson's nurse. Okay, uh, that's been really, really helpful discussion. Um, really enjoyed that. I'm just going to draw things to a conclusion. Okay, just coming to you for final reflections, Mary. Any any thoughts you can leave with people listening to this podcast from your experience? I would always advise somebody to get a full benefit check because uh, the, the benefit system is complicated. I've only mentioned a couple of benefits today. Employment Support Alliance and PIP, but there are other benefits. I haven't mentioned means-tested benefits such as universal credit, um, and there are discounts on council tax as well. So, yes, I would say go and seek advice, get get all your benefits checked, and keep getting them checked as things change. That's very helpful. I think you're going to get a lot of phone calls after this podcast is listened to. So thank you very much for sharing that. Thanks for joining us this evening. I come to our panellists for just their final thoughts and um, the difficult question really for them of if they had their time again, what, what advice would they give for people who are listening to this podcast who are just diagnosed? Um, perhaps I'd come to you first, Nick. What are your sort of reflections? Yeah, I think I'd agree with what various people have said in terms of planning. Um, and as we've said kind of along the way, that you know, none of us know how our condition's going to progress, how fast it's going to progress. So, you know, we can't plan to the to the nth degree, but I think it's really useful to have kind of thoughts in your head about, okay, well, let's plan for the kind of next five years. I'm, you know, doing relatively well. Let's see how we're going to go. Let's what do I what do I want my financial situation to be in five years' time? And then, okay, maybe 10 years down the line, what might it look like then? What what might our options be then? So kind of I guess come up with a range of options actually, you know, if if this happens, then I might end up doing this. If this happens, then we may have to downsize or um, yeah, just have those discussions really. So you've got those kind of those kind of options in the back of your mind, I guess. Yeah, thank you. And how about you, Simon? Any final thoughts? Yes, I mean I'm totally with Nick. I mean it's about options. It's about planning. I think the big thing, as I as I touched on earlier, is to, you know write that spreadsheet, get that spreadsheet out, and make sure you uh, you put everything in there uh, because it's a sobering experience. And if and if it goes too far into the negative, then uh, then you know something's wrong. And be guided by Mr. McCorber. I can't remember the exact quote, but if you, if you something like if you spend more, well, obviously if you spend more than you earn, results unhappiness. Uh, uh, and and clearly, if you if you spend less than you earn, result happiness. So uh, remember Mr. McCorber, and uh, and you'll be fine. Good good way to finish. Thank you. One of the key messages of this podcast, and to my mind, they've come out really, which is you know to sit down and think and plan, not panic. Um, take a long-term view, seek advice, it's out there. There are lots of benefits, and I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast, there was something that came out from Mary that they didn't know, lots of things that came out that I didn't know. Um, you know, There's lots of help out there, and um, seek it. Anyway, that's, thanks very, very much. I think you know, we've all given up a lot of time to do this and um, come across very professionally, and let's hope you know, some people will listen to this podcast and it'll have an impact on their lives. So. Good work, guys. It's, it's a really brilliant initiative. Well, I think I'll go and have dinner now. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Nice to meet everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye